Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. The Crime Couch is proudly sponsored by Bank Vic. Chris O'Connor is one of Australia's most experienced sexual crime investigators. The former Detective Senior Sergeant has been responsible for some of the country's highest profile cases involving serial murder, rape and abduction. These have included the murder and abduction of Carmen Chan, the murders involving Peter Dupas and the bombing of Russell Street headquarters. Chris is a qualified trainer and instructor in crime scene investigation and investigative interviewing. He's also a published author and runs an interview training and investigation consultancy called Strategic Questions. Welcome to The Crime Couch, Chris. Yes, hello, Rochelle. It's good to see you again. Why did you join Victoria Police? Two main reasons, I guess. Uh, first of all, I spent six years in the public service, the federal public service in the, in the then Customs Department, which is now the Australian Border Group. And I was working on the front line there, doing a little bit of work around narcotics and so forth. And uh, it was not the most professional organisation at the time, and uh, I, which was quite frustrating because we either didn't have resources or we didn't have the experience to do some of the investigations that were expected and so forth. And I thought, well, look, I might as well as uh, join the police and do professional work and get more satisfaction and usefulness for the community than, than what I was at, uh, at Customs. And the other reason is really that I, I ever since I was a young child, I, I dislike bullying behaviour and bullies. And as I physically wasn't really big enough to stand up to most of the usual bullies, I thought, well, look, if I, if I can go into the police force, I can protect people who are being bullied. So that, that, was, the, that was the other reason I, I joined the police force. Your career has really focused on sex crimes. Uh, what led you into this area, a very specific investigation? I guess I stumbled into it. I was a detective sergeant or a sergeant at the time and I had a call from a former colleague of mine who I respected very highly and who told me that the crime command was going to set up a sexual crime squad or actually it was rather oddly called the rape squad at the time in 1989 and asked me if I'd be interested in putting in for the position. I thought, well, look, even in those days, that uh, sexual assault is probably the, the most horrific form of bullying that can exist. And uh, it sort of fitted in my alley well, and uh, so I did. I put in and I got the position as, as one of the inaugural sergeants of the Victoria Police Rape Squad in 1989. In your 36 years in the job, Chris, what's been the achievement that you're most proud of and why? I don't know that there's only one. I'm proud very much of the people and the circumstance in which I had was fortunate to work with groups of people and the success of our team and, and various teams, that's what I'm more proud of, I, I guess, than an in individual accolades because as much as they're great for the ego, when you reflect, or certainly I reflect, on 
the good people that were around me that formed the team and why the team functioned professionally and effectively over its years. And I, I could see that mine, like uh, most people, I guess, uh, was a gradual building up of both skill and ability and professionalism. You don't start out that way at all, but hopefully with the help of people around you, a little bit rubs off onto you of the good and hopefully you can use that and amalgamate yourself into a, a useful member of the profession. You've coordinated and run some of the biggest cases in the state. Is it really about teamwork and building that camaraderie, I suppose, between all the detectives and the people that are working with you? I, I think unequivocally. In any, any endeavour in life, we, we, we don't do it by ourselves. It's, it's just a simple fact of the, the social nature of human beings. We need each other, whether we like it or not sometimes. If we need each other, as we do, then, then why not seek out the best skills and abilities of individuals and combine all them together into a team and uh, you become uh, almost impervious. That was my philosophy anyway. Uh, sometimes it didn't work, sadly. Generally it does. It's, it's a good, solid process in my mind. Chris, what's been the case that's really stayed with you? A number of cases have, have stayed with me. Obviously the Operation Spectrum, which related to the abduction of several schoolgirls, a sexual assault and the murder of Carmen Chan, for the main reason that we were never able to solve that crime. And with all due respect to modern-day policing, the simple reality was that there was just not sufficient forensic evidence to enable us to identify a, a strong line of inquiry. And because there were so few witnesses, or primary witnesses certainly, so few, or they were so young, the quality of their recall was limited. So combined, without the forensic, without the eyewitness, which account for the vast majority of investigation resolution, uh, we had neither of that of any great degree. So that essentially we were looking for a white male between the ages of early 20s and late 30s, who was of medium build, could have been five foot six, could have been six foot, may have had light coloured hair. Probably Australian, uh, classically, because of the language he used. And that was about what we knew about him. Now, that accounts for uh, potentially 2 million, 2.5 million people in this state alone. Sadly, we had no more to go on than, uh, of significance than that, that, that type of evidence. With the current, I suppose, developments and sophisticated forensic tools that have been developed, could you see any breakthroughs occurring with that case? You can't, no matter how good you are as an investigator, you can only try to apply the principles of investigation as best you can and to identify the most likely avenues of inquiry to pursue. Beyond that, there was very little else that we had to go on. For the 25 years between these offences and, and my retirement, the particularly the DNA uh, application became very, very, very sophisticated. And as you would expect, um, new technology is applied to old crimes. It hasn't helped us to mm. this date that I know of. 
as I mentioned, you worked some of the highest profile cases in the state, Chris. Do you have any regrets or anything that you think now that you would have done a bit differently? I think there's always, there is no investigation that I've ever conducted that was perfect. And a lot of times far from perfect for a lot of good reasons. Human beings are assigned with the responsibility of solving crime. Each one of us is an individual and each one of us has our positives and negatives. If somebody has not been professional enough to pursue an avenue of inquiry properly uh, and writes up that it was, was investigated properly, no matter who you are, you're limited to accept that person's word for it. Now, their failings, I appreciate that. And there are, um, and I just use that as an aside example, but uh, when you think about it, when you're dealing with so many different people, that even the most rigid or prescriptive processes or principles, you still need humans to discharge them. And sometimes it's not done as well as you would have expected. And, And, but no one's the wiser one. You investigated the bombing of Russell Street headquarters, uh, police headquarters. What were the challenges in that case for you? Well, I I was just a very young detective at the time. Uh, I'd been at Preston CIB, which is one of the busiest CIBs of the era, along with St Kilda and uh, Pran. So I was just learning the, the art of criminal investigation when I was thrown into the Russell Street Bomb Task Force um, I was surrounded by these. The majority of investigators were these hardened crime squad detectives, and so I had to pick up pretty quickly on uh, how how the how differently the crime squads operate. And the biggest thing about uh, the biggest difference uh, that I found was that the availability of the services, such as your your forensic services, your fingerprints, your um, surveillance both uh, electronic and uh, and human these things were at call whereas in the in the divisions out in the suburbs uh, rarely rarely would you get them to the same degree so i had to learn how to function as a suburban gumshoe with the modern uh, resources available uh, which was brilliant for me for my development of course because uh, i learned one hell of a lot of practical applications of criminal investigation in the Russell Street bombing, but also learned a a lot about people, interviewing people, conducting surveillance on people, how people behave, and probably a little bit about the criminal, the criminal industry, I suppose you'd call it. We'd call it, in later years it was called the underground, but, uh, or gangland and this sort of business. But I started to learn a fair bit about how these, uh, how these groups operate and so forth. And at the end of the day, I, uh, it was clear to me that there's, there was an industry there of, uh, of serious criminals, some who had it directed directly at the law enforcement and authority, and others who were doing it as a business. You could speak to them uh, as I would anybody at the football if we weren't involved in discussing their criminal behaviour. And, and these are valuable lessons for a young detective. It's called, I call it Detective Nows. You can go to detective training school and learn how to do the process of investigation but the art of investigation takes a little bit more of the human element and uh, requires you to be a little bit more empathic 
about people to see what is it in that person's world that has caused them to do this today. And that, that invites any number of questions, doesn't it? Hopefully, that type of thinking is the type of thinking, in my mind at least, that makes the, that all round makes the, the professional modern day detective. Bank Vic was founded by police in 1974 to help members get a better deal on banking. Things are better today, but Bank Vic's purpose is the same to serve the police better than the other banks with great rates and personal service. With a branch inside Victoria Police Centre and mobile lenders visiting stations or available by appointment, they're available where and when it suits you. Bank Vic get police because they've been helping them with their banking for nearly 50 years. To find out more, go to bankvic.com.au slash thecrimecouch. Bankvic is the trading name of Police Financial Services Limited, ABN 33087651661. You headed up the Child Exploitation Unit, Chris, for about 10 years. How does sex crime investigation differ from other sorts of crimes that detectives have to investigate? What, what are the outstanding features? There, there are, in some ways, there are a lot of similarities. For example, serial sex offenders, child molesters. There are a lot of similarities to drug addiction. Some of the specific avenues of inquiry you may pursue in a drug investigation, you may well do in a sexual crimes investigation. The biggest difference, though, for sex crimes is the nature of the offence. Every sex crime, or almost every sex crime, has its genesis in the mind, in the fantasy. And rarely can any fantasy be replicated in real life. And with sex offenders, it is that fantasy that is often the motivation to offend, and almost exclusively the fantasy will not be lived out fully. Therefore, these people are... Will re-offend. Well, emotional weakness, um, psychological weakness, uh, sometimes intellectual deficiency will cause them to commit the crime again in the hope that they will, will be able to live out the fantasy. And so it's, it's a never-ending circle or cycle. From that perspective, the investigator needs to know something about their behaviour, their psychosexual behaviour. And uh, consequently, there are certain sex offenders who generally, and, I, and I'm talking generally here, but generally will offend in a certain way and often the the modus operandi can lead us to individual suspects particularly in a serial environment or multiple offenders for example with a child molester the distorted thinking for, for child molesters is that it may be that children are pure they're untouched that they are going to be introduced to sex by somebody who loves them and will not hurt them. Or for some rapists, that women are dangerous. They always want sex and that the, the male is there uh, for that purpose, uh, to give them sex. So, uh, you know, the old adage that uh, no means yes. Well, you know. 
I, I'm not defending these people by any stretch of the imagination, but this, but we also have to be realistic that that type of distorted thinking is the type of thinking that that a large number of sex offenders use. And if I'm a balanced adult male, I'm going to find it difficult to understand that thinking. And similarly, I mean, if you're a balanced female investigator, of course, you're going to have that. You're going to find it difficult. And this is what I'm talking about, the benefit of empathy. If we are empathic, we can attempt to see the world from that person's perspective. Now, if their perspective is that I'm doing this to this child because I love her, I have to be able to not understand the psychology, but to understand the behaviour. I don't want to understand the psychology because I fear that if I'm understanding the psychology, then perhaps it's rubbing onto me. I want to understand the behaviour, and there, there is a difference between the psychology and the behaviour. And as an investigator, euphemistically, we, we hear it called getting inside their head. Well, I guess to some degree that's what I'm talking about with, with empathy. If I can see what are the causes of this person's behaviour, what are the motivators of this person's behaviour, what are the risk issues that, that will send this person off, they are positive avenues of inquiry that I can use to my benefit, not only in investigating the crime, but, but equally importantly, interviewing the offender or the suspect. So these are differences of the same principles that we use in all investigations. These are variations of those principles. And we have not traditionally, as policing organisations, valued the need, this empathic need, as a tool to, to effective investigation. Individuals do it you know, over the centuries. I mean, we can go back to Sergeant Gray, I think it was, in 1936, said that uh, speak to the person with compassion and kindness, build up a relationship with that person, and they may be inclined to talk to you. So, I mean, this is not something that some modern-day social scientists has come up with. I mean, plenty have built on this, but this is something that goes back to the basis of human, positive human interaction, effective communication with other human beings. And these are the things that we as detectives have to get smart about. The social sciences are our best friend. Academics are not all idiots. Some are. But the majority of academics have their heart in the right place and they want to advance their science. And we as police need to work with these people and gain what benefit we can from that cooperation rather than just poo-pooing what they have to say. Chris, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today on The Crime Couch. Thank you very much. No, it was a pleasure to, to speak, Rochelle. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Couch.